0: So my dad, of that no fear, just really pushed forward and made great opportunities. And I realized I had that of just do and figure it out.
1: Hey, this is Paul from The IT Company and welcome to the Made Right Here podcast. On this week's episode. It is episode one with Christos Christopoulos of Christopoulos and Kennedy Construction here in Knoxville. Christos is a fascinating guy, a hard worker, and his story is an immigrant story. He was born in Greece. His parents didn't speak English. They immigrated to America. And that's what you're going to hear in this episode is really that immigrant family story of the first generation, that generation that moves here, the first generation growing up here, the hard work, the effort, and you're going to hear the emotion behind Christos and how like the sacrifice of his parents, of his father, the tenacity. And so listen into this episode, you're going to really love it. All right, so Christos Christopoulos with Christopoulos and Kennedy Contractors. So we'll get into the business in a little bit, but just real quick, what do you do exactly? I know you're contractors, but that can be a lot of different things.
0: Uh, the There's two definitions, usually general contractor or builder, uh, construction manager. And we're a general contractor to where we self-perform pieces of the job ourselves and we subcontract the
1: rest. Okay. And any notable buildings or things around town that people would know, recognize really easily that you built that? Besides Hard Knocks Pizza, of course.
0: Yeah, I, I'd say that would be the number one staple. Tomato Head, yeah, Amelia, Space Head, Boutiques. Do a lot of restaurants, right? Did a lot of restaurants. We did the McClung Museum, the Permanent Display at UT. We did the back of the Clarence Brown Theater at UT, the Sequoia Birthplace Museum in Loudoun. Mm. You've even done some custom homes, right? You've done some large custom homes here and there. We've done two, two. and I'm doing my third one right now. <laughs> they're not our forte yeah. because what we enjoy doing quite a bit is planning mm-hmm. and executing and following through with the plan. And with the homes, they're much more reactive. Yeah. So that's it's doesn't really fit in our model that well. But for Shenandoah Nursing Home, we completed their neighborhood here in knoxville i don't know 30 or 40 houses duplexes hmm. and then we built a condo 20 some units and then after that in Mariville we built uh, a neighborhood there of 44 custom homes oh, well. but the nice management of it it was shannondale presbyterian homes was the property owner but then we built it custom for the purchaser, mm, yeah, Cool, but we had one architect to deal with. So it was a nice format, good. Um, and that was uh, exciting. It was daunting when we first started and uh, it, it really um, taught me a lot because I think the first house we did took us about six months. And by the time we're to the 44th house, we did it like in just over two months. Wow. That's awesome. It was, but it, you had a repeat model to yeah, keep honing. Yeah, yeah. And we got to the point of scheduling halves, thirds of the day.
1: All right. So uh, I just want to start really from the beginning. So I I see you're born in Greece. Yes. So tell us a little bit, like, uh, how long were you there? My parents were pretty much an arranged marriage by the
0: siblings of each. And as dowry, my father got a a little piece of property in Athens. Hmm. So he built a house on it and had my brother and then i came three and a half years later and my father wanted to buy a taxi to make that his business and both his father and this is in athens right this is in athens okay. greece in um 1965 1966 and both his father and his father-in-law were very much against it because they were conservative at that time It said because you pay cash that if you save up and buy it, then if you wreck it, how are you going to feed your family? Yeah. And he he grew up on a side of a mountain village, truly, really Spartan. Like when the Germans came in and occupied it, it was... So he came up in a really hard time to where risk was not an issue for him. Mm-hmm. And he had a younger brother that had left the village through, a, through an uncle and came to Michigan. So when... He didn't have family support, called his brother, goes, I want to come to America, the land of opportunity. And he confesses, he only made it to the sixth grade. So he confesses he didn't know what or where America was, Wow! but he just heard from his brother that, hey, there's work here. So I came over on the boat, took us 14 days, came through what I've learned now, because I took my son last year. You don't physically come through Ellis Island, Mm -hmm. it's an island next door to it, but So I came in that way, got all my vaccination shots one time and through, through serendipitous efforts, we ended up, he, he was a mechanic in the military. So when he went to Michigan, his brother and another person helped get him a job at a Volkswagen car dealership where they would just give him the parts. He would change them or they would say, tick, tick. He didn't speak English? None. Really? So through sign language, gestures, parts, he started learning. And, but because he was an immigrant, they didn't give him a bay to work and he worked outside and Michigan has pretty severe winters. So he started having health issues because he didn't have proper clothing, didn't know what to do. And somebody suggested you should go to Florida and he's, what's that? Where's (laughs) that? He's just, he's a black and white person. Just go. So he drove down to Florida with a friend, saw it was warm sun in the middle of winter, like they left a snowstorm and came yeah. to sun and went to a car dealership there and said, I can work. And the person said, okay. Uh-huh. So he came back, loaded us up, and we moved to Florida, no place to live. Tried government housing, but they didn't want children where we were. And a really cute story they were, after he was working a little while, they were building a subdivision. And he went to the trailer, the rent real estate trailer, and said, I want to buy this house. And fortunately, the real estate agent, his parents were Polish immigrants from the war Mm. and told my dad, well, you got to put a deposit down. You got to do this. My dad pulled out $5, but the guy realized that my dad was serious and he took the deposit. So that's where I grew up, elementary school, middle school. And I didn't learn that story till my high school graduation. Really? We had a big party, Greek style, big fat Greek wedding. (laughs) And I met this guy there and he told me the story. That is awesome. That was fun. That was cool. Well, how old were you when you left Greece? Do you know? Oh, I was six or eight months
1: old. So you don't remember being in Greece at all. No. Wow. And, but your brother was three or four, something like that. So he probably has limited memories of being there. Yeah, my
0: only memory is the pictures and my dad's sister. Her house is next door to our old house. It's got the swing set still in um, Greece. Yeah, wow. I was there a month ago and yeah, saw it. Really. Showed cool. my son.
1: That's awesome. Do you recall Michigan? Do you were you briefly? There? We we're so, only there about five years. Oh wow. Okay, so you don't really recall that. No, really.
0: All my childhood memories are Florida. In Florida.
1: We haven't had too many people who are the children of immigrants and grew up in an immigrant home. There's one thing to be like. I'm the grandson of an immigrant. But so, what was that like? Like, you have parents who probably have limited English speaking capabilities. You grew up speaking English, and so, what? Tell us about what did that? What was that like growing up in that? Home? Yeah
0: at the time normal knew nothing different some of the upon reflection it hit me more when i moved away from home and came here that that's when i started remembering a few times it would pull us out of school to go meet with an attorney or meet with an accountant to translate form or, hmm. or the doctor really because they learned enough conversational english but they can't read the newspaper yeah. if they watch tv It. it like, even a sitcom, you're sitting there laughing and they're deadpan, and you realize it's know. too fast for them. They can't catch it. Uh, huh?
1: Did you, but you spoke Greek?
0: Yes. You still? Yes. Really? Yeah. And when I call them now, I still speak, still speak Greek. Greek. Right? Yeah. Are they still here? In they're the both States? still
1: alive. Yeah. In the United States? Yeah. So, you mentioned that your parents were a pretty big influence on you. In what ways? Do you feel like now looking back and the man you are, the things you've done, how did your mom and dad?
0: Yeah, it's it's funny how you just are. And that's a weird sentence, but you just are until somebody says something or you stop for a second, look around and say, how did I get here? Why did I get here? Mm -hmm. Or why am I doing this? And that's really when I realized the things people would comment about me were just normal. And then I realized it's not normal for other people. Mm. So I guess the the backstory to that is when I was in fifth grade, my father, who used to work for a car dealership as a mechanic, a customer said, my, my dad, went. his English name was Louis. His Greek name is Lambros. But Lambros? Yeah, Lambros. But it was very normal when the immigrants came yeah. post-war to Americanize the names and said, Louis, you're too good for this. You got to do your own. And there was a, a little rundown gas station in the depressed neighborhood. It truly had a liquor store and a convenience store right behind it. Sketchy.
1: This is in Florida.
0: In Florida. Okay. And took my dad over there. And it, I think it was a Latino person was selling the business. So my dad bought it from him. And that was in the early 70s, late 70s. And I think at the time it was like $16,000 mm-hmm. or something. It was- um, Which
1: was probably a lot of money. It was my
0: dad had some savings. I, I think he said seven or eight thousand. And the guy that suggested it let him borrow a couple. The guy let him make payments for a year. He pieced it together. But then he realized he didn't know how to run a gas station. He never sold gas. And my mom used to be a waitress at a little diner. So she then started helping with the business. And my brother and I, so we were all the employees. And but then, sorry. Okay. So from fifth grade to high school and middle school, we ended up getting a better gas station like on the equivalent of Kingston Pike. But our hours were seven to 11, seven days a week. So that's all I knew.
1: What's the emotion behind it?
0: At the time, it was just normal. But now when I look back, it was pretty hard. Yeah.
1: Because you basically went to school and then went to work.
0: Yeah. From school, I went to work. Yeah. Did go home.
1: Right wow and i guess i mean i know you the work ethic you have you think that's what's behind who you are is this just well first off i think it's pretty interesting that your dad like pretty i don't know what the word for it is like pretty ballsy right (laughs) like i'm gonna buy a house here's five bucks i'm gonna buy a gas station i don't know anything about this country (laughs) i don't know anything about how this stuff works and that's really him and and yeah
0: and and Bless him for that, really. He changed his brother's life. If I can go back to the story when he first came over, his brother was working at this hot dog diner bar, something that existed up north of Michigan. And his brother worked the night shift from, I don't know, late in the evening, like 9, 10 at night till the morning. So he just worked the whole night shift seven days a week. And I think he got like $200. But that was a lot of hours. It was like 90 hours. Mm. So he didn't have a great lifestyle or any money. And when my dad came and he helped him get the job at the uh, car dealership. The My dad explained that the service manager apologized because he's an immigrant, this and this. I can't pay him that much. But I'll give him, it was like 220 or 230 for 40 hours a week. And his brother's working 90. Yeah. So my dad took that very quickly and said, uncle is taking advantage of you. You got to open your own and help motivate his brother to get a little hot dog cart. So he started with a hot dog cart and then he bought this little closed restaurant and now he's wildly successful. He has like Aubrey's restaurants and he has six In Michigan. Um, so my dad of that no fear just really pushed forward and it made great opportunities and. I realize I had that yeah. of just do and figure it out. Yeah.
1: Is the emotion more like you feel like you missed something or is it just more gratitude or is it like all these things or what do you feel like is behind all that?
0: The, the sacrifice he made and it, uh, you lose something in it. And, and I, I don't know if you gain more or lose more. I I don't know. I'm finding myself in that, that I'm still all work mode and, I've never learned to enjoy. So I'm going through that analysis, I guess.
1: You, you feel like your dad, you didn't, they just worked and that's kind of the immigrant mentality though. Like,
0: I well, mean- it, it's not the mentality. It's the reality. Mm. You don't have money to buy things. Mm. You don't yeah. have, so you can't propel yourself. You can't be normal or you can't be equal. So that's your motivation and the the other segments of it is these are some of the things i, I definitely acknowledge uh, identified and incorporated in my company is you don't communicate well mm. so you end up going i'll do it mm. because i can't explain to yeah. you how i want it done yeah so i think a lot of the stereotypical greek immigrants with the restaurants they fail if they have two they can run one really well because they're at the helm of the ship. And they have to control everything, but they can't explain to you how they want it controlled. Mm. So I definitely caught that. Mm. And so that that's sort of good and bad in it. Yeah,
1: I understand. I mean, I it's funny. I I took my son. I did a trip 25 years ago with my dad. So his parents came through Ellis Island. And then we did all that together. And then this summer I took my son. And we did the Ellis Island thing and a bunch of other stuff in New York City. And he's named after my grandfather and all that stuff. And I think my my grandfather was a longshoreman back when a longshoreman meant that you carried 50-pound coffee bags on your shoulders and went back and forth. And that's how you unloaded ships. And so I get not as close to it because it wasn't my dad. But like uh, when I go and see I go to Ellis Island, it was very emotional for me because it's like you recognize the sacrifice that was made for the life that you have. And the level of they run on steerage and didn't know anybody. And so I think, I don't know if that's what you're connecting with, but I sure think from my perspective, I connected with that. There's a sacrifice that I can't fully grasp. And was it, made
0: in a way, you're almost like a war veteran. You have the, this purpose and cause, but when the war is over, you you don't have a purpose. So I can see my parents being that they had no definition of retirement. Mm. Or
1: because you skipped all your years to then when you could, what is it, yeah, yeah, I wonder if they even understood the concept. No, kind of they like stayed this. in
0: survival mode. My mom's still in survival mode. she doesn't need to be <laughs> um <laughs> so lucky, my dad pulled out of survival mode he's I love who he is, though, yeah. because in when he was still just working and everything. The the one thing that totally always remembered is he wanted to give and that was other people. Yes. Yeah. And that was it's like having a red car in a parking lot of white cars. It just stood out mm. because we we're always there working. If you came in, you're like, oh, my car's got this thing. He'd mess with it. 20, 30 minutes, fix it. And he's, I'll like, ah, see you later, Paul. And my mom would go, what are you doing? How are you going to make money? <laughs> and he goes, ah, don't worry about it. He goes, Somebody else will come, hmm. and you know me standing there as a middle schooler or high schooler. Yeah. I'm going, "What's the deal? We're supposed to be making money, but I would just see him just hmm. giving people come and, but it just it settled with me that hmm. it's a
1: gift, a joy to give. Yeah, that's cool. Did you, did they achieve success? Was it? Was, was this a a successful business enterprise there. um my brother and I both went to college. Um, was that important to them? Was that growing up? you will go to college was that a thing? Uh, it was important to them that you'll do better than us
0: okay. so i had my brother had aspirations he wanted to be an architect designer, all that mm-hmm. he so he went, but I was different. I wanted to stay and take over the business because hmm. it's what I did. I would change all the tires. So I was the tire guy. Anybody rotate, balance, anything. Mm. I did the tires. I would wash and wax cars on the side. So I was all in. Mm. But to enforce that I was not going to do it about a month before I graduated high school, he sold it. For that reason? Yep. Really? Didn't tell my mom. Didn't tell <laughs> <laughs> sold the business. And he's hilarious. Like he I love cars, vehicles, because yeah. I was around him. He could care less. They're just widgets. So when he sold it, he even sold his vehicle with the business. Like we had a station wagon. That yeah. was the tow truck to go get people when they're abandoned. So he walked home. <laughs> just done. And he said, he goes, all my good customers, they send their kids to university. You're going to university. Wow. That's wild. Well, compound it. graduation night from high school, I'm out partying, having fun, come home late at night, all the lights are on in the house and I'm like, I thought I was going to have to sneak into bed and they're up and they're packing suitcases and we leave, I don't know, it was three, four in the morning and they dried me up and dropped me off at university of Florida with my brother.
1: Uh, he was already there.
0: Yeah. I wasn't registered or anything, but they're like, here you go.
1: <laughs> you fucking figure it out.
0: <laughs> well, back then before cell phones and everything, I never said goodbye to any of my friends. Wow, They were all panicked thinking I died or what happened. <laughs> and, uh, so there
1: was, he's very direct. That is wild. Do you feel like you're that way?
0: No, I'm solid. I'm consistent. I'm firm, but I'm not that insane. Um, <laughs> I really, I, I feel badly. My father in two weeks would be 93. Wow. He's, he's happy to be alive, and that's it. Yeah. He can't change a cover plate now. Are so, they in Florida?
1: Yes. They are still down there.
0: So I wish we're going to go see him for his birthday, but I wish my son... Could have seen him then yeah for sure but I'm telling him stories and stuff and trying to keep what he was alive yeah
1: going back a little bit middle school and high school was life pretty much just working did you play sports were you able to do other stuff or like- yeah my,
0: my bitter rub is one day after school I guess I was kicking around or something and uh, the coach saw me and he put me on the soccer team. I I don't remember the exact details but I went home and told them hey, I'm on a soccer team and they're like okay and and after a few weeks they said you got to quit sticking away from work too much and I regret that cuz mm. I liked it. Yeah. So there was no after school activities. You mm. just went to work because I was the relief for my mom when I would go then she could go home right. and cook and clean yeah. and usually stay in the clothes with my dad.
1: Was well, it pretty much a a traditional greek family like you ate greek food and like it was were you being americanized or were you very much a greek family living in america
0: when my mom cooked then and now it's all greek food we had the convenience of a mcdonald's one (laughs) 200 feet away so that was the go-to food anytime you had you were hungry right so that was our americanizing but i've got two friends from high school and the one is the one that americanized me like First hot dog, first taco, first mm. sleepover, first time in a boat, mm. things like that. So I was a novelty to his parents.
1: That's interesting. I think, uh, again, the limited... Uh, I know quite a few immigrant families, and I think it's... But the story's pretty common. I think the first generation and the second generation are pretty hard workers. Trick is getting that third and fourth generation to, to work hard but not have... But have more balance, I think. And I saw that in
0: our a church community, the, the other Greeks and Orthodox, some of their families that were successful already ahead of us with the nice cars, mm-hmm. nice house, couch with the plastic. Their kids were not great kids. Mm. Like They'd go smoke behind church, mm. cigarettes, or they, they weren't as noble as I'd like them to be. And I started doing the math then that, wow, money success is not a mm. combination of great. Interesting. Then when I went to college, I uh, observed more of that, and that kind of made me try and stay who I was.
1: Was church an important part of growing up? Yeah,
0: they were, they were very disciplined in that. that
1: Greek Orthodox, were, right? Yes. Yeah.
0: They would take us to church, and many times they'd forget about picking us up because the gas station get busy, you lose track of time. So we'd either be stuck there or finding a ride home. And the problem is we we lived like 20, 30 minutes away from church. Oh, wow. So a lot of people weren't just yeah. like, I'll drop you off there. So yeah, we had some stories about just sitting outside, pulling grass, waiting for him to show up.
1: And it's just you and your brother and the other siblings. Were you growing up in a Greek community? If you were in New York City, there's Greek communities. Not a Greek community,
0: but we networked with other Greek people. So if we needed a plumber, an air conditioning guy, a tile guy, it was all Greeks. They knew a Greek guy, or it's funny with the culture, a lot of transplanted New Yorkers, Yeah, New yeah. Yorker doing the mirrors, just, and <laughs> uh, I guess the New Yorkers were more comfortable with culture Yeah. or ethnicity yeah. Um, to where it wasn't different or polarizing to them. But in middle school, the house that we bought in the subdivision, those neighbors were not accepting of us being Greek immigrants because really? they were more American Southerners. Huh. Yeah, so that was
1: accepting as in they wouldn't talk to you guys or they were
0: like the just a few people, not the whole neighborhood, but the worst one was right next door. He had mm-hmm. two daughters, my brother's age and my age, and he wouldn't let them play with us at home because we were greasy Greeks, but we were in class with them. So in class, we're talking, chit chat, and then we're going home. It's like, okay, I can't talk to you now. Yeah. Wow. yeah, so a lot of weird stories like that. Interesting.
1: But I, to, I would imagine. In their world, I would think your parents, not knowing the language really well, one of the reasons to be connected to the Greek community would just even be to communicate. I can at least talk to them and say, I need my plumbing fixed. Versus calling an American plumber, you can't even communicate.
0: To this day, their air conditioner went out last week, and we luckily have the same neighbor for 40 years. So I call my neighbor Jim and explain to him what they need. So he can <laughs> call somebody because they're still-
1: They still don't speak great English.
0: They're bad communicators. Yeah. They wouldn't know how to say a, a split system or a three-ton yeah, package. Right. Or they yeah, can't yeah. speak that verbiage. Yeah. That's so
1: fascinating. What, what did, I want to get back to your story. What did your dad do after he sold this business and he went to college? So I went to college. He, He's a hustler, obviously. So. Yeah. He tried to
0: retire for a while and worked on the house, which- Need a lot of work as we were never there really yeah. did in high school. I didn't do much after a while. The crazy thing is people would leave their cars in our driveway with a note and the keys <laughs> saying, Louie, could you fix they this knew. and that?
1: They knew he was the man.
0: Yeah. And so he started getting annoyed because I remember being home, like I'm trying to leave and there would be a car blocking me in. I'm like, who's this car? We didn't know. And it's locked and we couldn't figure it out. And then we find like a key in the mailbox. Like this is nuts. And so after a while, he ended up going to a warehouse district and opening up a shop there with the intentions of it's remote, nobody will find me. I'll just piddle because he couldn't work on them in the the house. And that ended up getting really busy and he sold it. Well, we had a, my mom had a nephew that was a a mechanic on the Freightliner ships. And he defected to America, so my dad ended up giving him the business. Wow.
1: Did your parents become citizens? Yes. They did? Yeah. So they could communicate enough and read enough to pass. That's a pretty big deal. Yes. Pass those tests. And obviously, you guys had to become citizens, too.
0: I was a legal immigrant until I was 18, and then I had the choice. So I had a green card, which was a joyous thing for me. Because when I was in college trying to go to bars, I was, <laughs> they changed the drinking age, the age I was 18. So mm-hmm. I was grandfathered in. Mm-hmm. So I would bring my green card as my ID, which was a picture of me as a baby. <laughs> so I was, awesome. I had that personality yeah. and just mess with little <laughs> bit. And so I had to sign up for selective service. Then I was given the option of becoming a citizen. citizen. Okay. And that's a, I don't know what it is now, but a truly emotional, excellent division that the government does because they bring in another successful immigrant to speak mm-hmm. when for your swearing in and everything. And The whole room is every nationality and everybody's really swelled with emotion of how great America is right. and everything. It was a nice thing.
1: My, my brother-in-law, my you know, Alex is Canadian and my brother-in-law became a citizen. He said the same thing. Like it was a really emotional experience, like this nationalism and all this stuff.
0: More accessible. Yeah. Just, uh, Cause American pride's not as high as it used to be.
1: All right. Your parents dropped you off at Florida, (laughs) not registered. And that was probably, it's different today, right? You have to, it's so, so different now.
0: Unrelatable
1: world. Yeah. But what were you going to do? You were living, you're going to live with your brother, I assume.
0: And oddly enough, uh, I lived with him that summer and he left. So I inherited his apartment.
1: Did um, he graduate? Is that so why he left? It? Or
0: He didn't graduate, but he was deciding to architecture, had the nickname "architecture." He was debating if he did interior design or architecture. So he took a year off to go work yeah. and he ended up coming back a year later. Okay. But growing up in South Florida at the time, you would, if you'd gone down a street vacant lot, then you go by later and there's like a Walgreens or a shopping center mm-hmm. And I started taking note of that, and I would watch the construction process and just thought it was cool. Mm. So I had the want of being a developer.
1: Like in in 18 years old, you're thinking, I want to be a developer. You knew what that was.
0: I guess coincidentally, where we had the Greek accountant, he was just in this office building We rent a suite. The space next door was this Greek developer Mm. guy with the big Mercedes, the big glasses, all this <laughs> caricature spot on. So sometimes when I would go with my parents to the accountant to bring the paperwork and explain things, and he was always browbeating them because they kept very bad records. I'd see the developer guy and just, my parents like, oh, there's John Vargas." So I was like, <laughs> oh, developer. So that was the only tangible oh. I had. So I thought that was just cool. Yeah. And so when I ended up, at the University of Florida, what to do. I got the phone book out, like the actual phone book and looked up developers. And I just called developers and out of, I don't remember how long the list was, but only one guy was willing to meet with me. When I met with him, I'm like, Hey, I want to be a developer. And he's just shaking his head. And now it took me 40 years to understand that. Right. That you don't just be a developer. Right. Yeah. But in explaining him, he illuminated me that the University of Florida had a building construction program. So he was, if you like that, try this. And I went and fantastic program. It is
1: supposedly one of the best in the nation from what and, I hear.
0: And at the time it was, and the one anecdote I really remember is they had a requirement at the time. I have not kept up with them since that all professors had to have a minimum of seven years management experience. Oh, well. So the classroom experience was excellent.
1: These were people that actually had done the work. Yes. What it was. So
0: you're in class, they're explaining this and this, and then it's and then let me tell you what really happens. The inspector comes out. You do this. So they gave you these reality stories that really painted it accurately. So I, I was really well prepared during my school experience. I was an anomaly. I think I was the only student that had no construction experience. Wow. There were children of contractor contractor owners. There were people that had worked construction and Mm. then wanted to get a formal degree. There were people that segued from architecture to construction, but everybody had already been in the field. Mm. So the terminology, I was green on everything, but loved it all. Mm. Thoroughly interested, loved it.
1: Did you, think now we think of Florida, right? And we think of Florida State and Miami and Tennessee and all these rivalries that are generated through sports. Did you have any concept of that when you got there? No. And to make it, I. This was in the 80s?
0: Yes. I graduated high school in 83. So I started the fall of 83. And because I never really watched TV, Hmm. I just lived school. And through my friends, I'd hear them talking sports, but I had no interest in it. It wasn't. I couldn't keep in the conversation because I didn't know, my best friend loved the Redskins, I knew it was a professional team and Phoenix Suns. So that's Mm. all I knew about sports is really what he'd feed me He'd always mess with me, goes, you gotta know this. But so when I went to college, I didn't know what to expect Mm. and football starts right away. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so I went to the football games because tickets were cheap. They were fun.
1: It's a big deal, Florida, too. Even back in the 80s, they were pretty good back then. To
0: yeah. make it worse is we won the national championship that season. Mm. So the city went nuts. <laughs> we're spray painting the road, blocking traffic, <laughs> just on the interstate, just had a great experience. Awesome. And then I, the second year, it didn't happen, like, to that level. Yeah. And I go, why not? And they're like, well, we want to, I'm like, not every year.
1: And they're like, no. I'm like, oh, that was bummer. That's funny. <laughs> I thought it was normal. Well, I think too, growing up in South Florida, Miami was huge in the eighties, the Miami football program. And you're like, don't even know it's happening. No, The dolphins are a big deal. Dan Marino is playing for the dolphins back then. And you're I'd about. never been to a sporting event. That's wild. Until I went to college. Yeah. Huh. so what was college like for you? I mean, it sounds like. From a preparedness for, for what your career was really helped. It was, it was,
0: uh, it's funny. I've entered four of my children now into college and relating what I've done for them and the preparation and how I went. So I learned a lot. I didn't have pocket change, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So being creative and how to do entertaining things without money was a challenge. But the, the cool thing is. My best friend ended up coming up, Mm. and we're roommates, so I had a buddy. From from South South, Florida. From South Florida. And so sharing the experience with him, he came uh, after a year. So I learned a lot, learned how to be resourceful, learned how to – that was the other weird thing of college is you you hear about college being hard, but it's only about 12 or 15 hours a week. The first semester, I did abysmal – in time management and studying because there was no structure. Because of
1: freedom that you had all Yeah, you had to
0: do your own structure. So I was playing volleyball, softball. I had a great time. But then when I came home that Christmas, I really reflected and just looked inward. And that was probably the first time in my life I did self-reflection. And because I was away from my family element, away from the work, I had time. I experienced fun. I experienced football. So... I took all those marbles, so to speak, and really tried to figure out like, all right, this is a time for me. What do mm. I want? Because mm. I did really badly with my grades, which I'd never done before. I was like a straight A and B student. Mm. So that was, that's really when I baked myself.
1: Did your parents pay for college? What did you pay for college?
0: Cute. Yeah, I'll tell you. They pay. They, they gave me checks for this and that. But because of how hard they worked for it, I couldn't take it with the guilt. So I got a job and you talk about a life blessing. I had taken drafting in high school for four years, I guess, because my brother's influence, I was interested in it, did mm-hmm. that. And I found a civil engineer there in Gainesville and he was open-minded to letting me work my own hours, but he was an engineer, He's austere. He goes, well, I'm going to give you this, Paul, but you need to be done by Thursday morning and. Furthermore, it should take you four hours, so I'm going to pay you for four hours. Sir, yes, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. Wow. But he gave me a key to the office so I could just go whenever. I'd go sometimes 11 o'clock at night, work at night if I didn't have a morning class or something. I was able to fit it in with my test schedule, mm-hmm. my hours, everything. I never missed the deadline. He always paid me. I always, He'd leave me notes like, hey, on this job, this was changing. And It's back when... All the drawings were done by hand I'd say
1: this just for some perspective this is not autocad
0: not autocad this is all hand done where the original is called a vellum it's really thick plastic oh, yeah. Yeah. and you'd have an eraser or an electric eraser if there was quite a bit to eliminate but you if you did too much you burn the vellum and it would destroy it you'd have to redo the whole drawing which but that was that made my whole college mm. experience um
1: you paid for yourself in the end? My
0: parents didn't know this. Okay. So when I graduated, on my graduation, and my dad a checkbook. Oh, wow. said, here's all your money. But my did, dad being my dad, take it? Didn't take it <laughs> well, my dad being my dad, he <laughs> held on to it. I got a job, and then a few months later, Toyota made a new 4Runner, a four-door 4Runner. And I was telling them, oh, I love this, and it's got the 31-inch tires, the lift kit, and all this. <laughs> so we went, and we bought it with, my checkbook and he paid the difference yeah wow but yeah so but rolling forward i've told my kids my story and they're wanting to duplicate it you can't college is so expensive expensive. yeah so it was doable then we lived i lived
1: really minimalistic but it was fine man that's powerful i love your dad i wish this guy's awesome (laughs) it's
0: (laughs) well he's just and and i try to be that in that way with with my customers, my employees, and but by my raw, sometimes too much truth is not good, as my business partner would tell me. And we got a project manager who's been they like you can't come to this meeting. So that's <laughs> funny when an employee tells you that. But but I realize that sometimes I'm too much. But I try to be as honest and put everything on the table as I can, because in construction usually people are trying to make a decision. So. I try to put everything on the table to help them make the decision.
1: Yeah, I remember the first time we met with you for Hard Knocks. And I had already been warned how you were. But I didn't warn Alexa. And she was like, I don't know if I want to work with that guy. I was like, he's, no, you do. Think about how honest he was. Like, he told us all the things that would go wrong, all the issues, all the challenges. He tried to talk us out. Like, I like somebody that tries to talk you out of it because it makes you think about why do I really want to do that? And
0: That's hilarious because yeah. in analyzing who's our customer, I realized that anybody who's never done a construction project, I have probably a single digit chance of working for them. Mm. But anybody who has done a yeah. construction project, I'm probably 95 to a hundred percent chance of working for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd done several. So I was like, no, this guy, he's the real. Yeah. Deal. <laughs> My challenge <laughs> is the
0: the new person had a. Not scare them off or offend them or
1: waterboard them. That's funny. All right, so four years of college. By the way, side note, I think my closest friend who lives in Florida was in the program the exact same time you were. How old are you? 57. Yeah, he's the same age. So you guys were in the exact same program at the exact same time in the exact same school with Brian Chancey. That is hilarious.
0: I'd have to... I don't remember a lot of the people in my class because they only had two classes like A and B and whichever one you're in. And at the time, I think it was only 40 or 50 students per semester. Mm-hmm. So you had 20 some students and you lived with them Yeah, and they were the other group, but you never really knew them or them. Right. Yeah. and I wasn't social. Yeah. I like went to class. And my routine is I had a place in the library where I hid. It's called the Stacks, the historical archives. So I had a little nest hole there, and I would just
1: stay there and study. I'd I'd love to. To How funny. Yeah, pretty cool. He ended up doing a much different stuff. He's in the IT business now, but he works almost like most of his customers are contractors and architects and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, pretty neat. Okay, so college is ending what does Christos do, or what are you thinking about doing? Well,
0: and I had a ballsy attitude because I was really invigorated with the program. A little side note is we, the, at the time I was there, the building construction college was under the architectural college, hmm. but it, it was still its own independent. And I think we're the second smallest. Forestry was the next smallest. Mm. So we really didn't have funding or anything. And a few times we did field trips and we had to get cars together. And somehow I spoke to somebody in architecture and they said that there's a University of Florida council for all the colleges. And we didn't have a representative. Mm. So I went and inquired and met and I got elected and became the representative for and. Uh, we had never gotten a budget. So I put together this huge budget. Cause you learn estimating and all this. I put together a budget of, we want a vehicle. We want this.
1: <laughs> I made a huge wish list
0: and I guess the process went in and I wasn't aware. I thought I failed, but the reality is that you submit it and then they go around, and they come budget. Now the next season they come out and we get a letter that we bought a Toyota Privia van. And I got free money for college. And I was like, oh my God, we got. It. I remember walking around, can't believe this happened. Yeah. So I learned some process too there.
1: And what? And so were you, when you were graduating, what were you? What was, I wanted to nice? work
0: for a construction
1: company. Okay. Do you want to go back down home or were you just open to whatever?
0: Uh, I was more open. I was more focused on the opportunity. I don't remember the name of the businesses, but two of them like flew me out to Alabama, flew me to Georgia to see their corporate whatever, yeah. office. But what I didn't like is uh, they would say, okay, Paul, you're going to do this for six months and this. And I would chime back. What if I'm better at it? What if I'm this? Can I do it faster? Can I morph? And they're like, no, this is the path you're going to follow. Mm. And I'd say, well, I don't want to work for your company. <laughs> <laughs> it, I was not success. I look back and I'm like, How stupid. That's not what you do. Yeah, sure. But I had no coaching. Nobody gave me guidance or anything. No, I didn't. That's the other thing. I didn't ask for coaching or guidance. So I ended up graduating and coming home without a job and got a call from a company. The school put you on a board or something. Mm -hmm. Got a call from a company that was out of Ohio, family owned. And back then, shopping centers were blazing in Florida and that they were going to build a shopping center in my area and you know, if I was interested so I worked for them and it was nice he flew down what'd you do for them the first one was a it was a winn Dixie Marketplace shopping center in Daytona Beach and they had another one I think a Publix in Jacksonville and the office was senior project manager who was a, in a good way a Jewish man so he had New York Jew. He had that gift of personality mm-hmm. to combine people. Mm-hmm. So I don't say it as a negative, I say it more as a caricature, mm-hmm. but truly he sucked at construct. He didn't know anything. If it was built out of bricks or straw, he didn't know, he didn't care. Yeah. He just wanted to do the deal. Yeah. And so had him and then a project manager, and I was the assistant. Help helped write contracts, help order things, purchase orders. So it worked fine, but then shoot probably four, five, six months into it, my project manager quit and went to work for one of the subcontractors on our job. Hmm. So the senior guy put me in charge as the project manager, which was strange because now my old boss was one of my yeah, subcontractors. Yeah. And uh that was really hard. I was not prepared. Hmm. And so I ended up going to Daytona for two days, Jacksonville for two days, mm. coming back. And luckily, based on my historical work ethic, I didn't complain about it or anything. And I even called some of my professors back at UT saying, I've got this and this. And have. Mm. <laughs> I've lived here too long. Some of the professors back at UF. And there's, Architects Institute of America called AIA, and they have a lot of standardized documents. And luckily the documents were used were all those forms with a lot of appendixes, things added on. So I really had to dig deep into that to see what my bounds were, what my Hmm. rights were, because my previous boss was killing me and. Well, this isn't included. This isn't. I'm like, it should be. I remember the packaging I mm-hmm. did and he was trying to get around to get more money. So I was really in a bad way. So I really had to learn quickly. But like I said, I was almost working seven days a week trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, side note, I ended up renting a place in Daytona from a Harley-Davidson motorcycle mama. But because I drove a Toyota she wouldn't let me park that Jap car in the driveway. I had to park <laughs> in the street to where it wasn't on her property. Uh, I'm like, but you'll let me live here? She's like, yeah. I'm, I'm her
1: words, not yours. Yeah. Well, I know, I mean, you spent quite a bit of time working in Florida in construction, right? That was a pretty big...
0: It was, it was intense in that both the first company uh, I worked for, I was supposed to be an assistant, and I ended up mm-hmm. being the project manager. And after we finished those two jobs, the company I was working for did not want to do an additional, I don't blame them because they were scared to death. This little kid is running everything. And this is back before emails, just with fax machines. Mm -hmm. So the communication was anxious because you couldn't send pictures like you do now. Everything was verbal explanation. FedEx. U.S. mail, FedEx. Yeah. Uh, So. Another project came up that the senior project manager knew about. We had priced it, and that's when my company that I worked for said, we don't want to do it. The senior manager being resourceful, knew a retired guy, said, hey, do you want to pick up this job? The retired guy goes, oh, I just gave my company to my son. He's got the licensing. He could do it. The son happened to live here in Knoxville. He flies down and... I remember it, it, was on a Saturday. I got my surf shorts on, cutting the grass. He goes, can you come in the office? I meet this guy and he goes, do you want to build this shopping center for me? I'll pay you the same and I'll give you a phone and a truck.
1: Sure. You're like in your 20s, right? 25. Yeah,
0: yeah. 24. Yeah. And so I, I'm just working, like I'm. I'm not thinking anything. So I build this shopping center down there. And it was a beautiful scenario because my new boss would come down once a month. I'd pick him up at the airport and my little, the guy from Knoxville, I would take him. He'd look at the job and then I'd drop him off at his dad's house that was in the neighborhood of mine. He's just a couple miles away and spent the day. It was fine. Every week I'd fax, they'd send me the checks for Friday to pay people. So I built the whole shopping center as a on-site project manager, superintendent, and working, I'd bring my dad in to help me caulk the windows and the doors. So I was a one-stop shop. Yeah. And then they offered me to come to Tennessee. It was in 1990. And I said, no, I said, I'll work for you in Florida. I like it here. I, I don't want to go up yeah. north. And my parents going, you're young, you're single, go see the mountains. and come back. So I came up here to go to La Follette and the build project a project in La Follette. Yeah. It was a Walmart, Cato shoe store, red food grocery hmm. store. It was a huge center. It was just under 200,000 square feet. And what I learned afterwards is it was the biggest project that company had ever done. Wow. And, I and was, you were the one doing it. I was have. 24 years old. Yeah.
1: this wow. Who's the company? Would we know who they are?
0: Um, they have Split. It was... At the time, Fielding and Rothermel, Joe, Jay Fielding, Jay Jay Fielding is still in business. He's the one that I, that hired me. Hmm. His father, George Fielding is who he got the company from, an established company. And Rothermel, Frank Rothermel was his partner. That's a story in itself. They were partners and Mr. Mundy who owns, owns
1: everything here, Mr. Monday,
0: well, that's the (laughs) thing. Mr. Monday took a shine to them yeah. and sold them two properties oh, wow. that cash flowed the month they bought them. Wow. And that helped them become who they were. Wow. And that was during the World's Fair, like in nineteen eighty two. So Joe was the one that brought me here, did that. And then they end up splitting. They had they've got different personalities. Did, but did you, you work with Frank? Yes. He did, okay. And actually, when they split, I stayed with Frank. You did? Okay. With Joe. Which was
1: Rothermel Construction.
0: Yes. With Joe, we're doing more Walmarts. Yeah. And that's a thankless job. Mm. And because I'm willing to work myself to death, I was just like, wow, I want to thank you. And so I stayed with Frank. We did more food lines. Mm. And the food line people... It was not as intense, and it was just more walking along, mm-hmm. and that's more Frank's personality, too. And we did some low stores, too, some Walgreens.
1: How long were you with Frank before before he started? And, and you went from that to starting Chris and Candy, right? So how long was Bill part of that? Is that how you even Bill met?
0: Yeah, Bill worked for Field & Rossumell. Mm-hmm. So when I came, they had an estimator. After I finished that shopping center, they brought me into the office because their estimator was retiring, and I was the only person that could use the computer. <laughs> I was back with Lotus, just a spreadsheet. Oh, yeah. But because of school, <laughs> I knew how to make formulas and everything, yeah. so I actually created formulaized spreadsheets.
1: For doing estimates. Yeah,
0: so you could just, and it's before construction programs existed. Yeah. So I'd have it you put your takeoffs in it, and prices and everything would f- walk out. So when I finished that shopping center, I went into the office,
1: and that's where how you met Bill because he wasn't. Was he an estimator? Is that what Bill's role was? Or
0: what we did is the office you estimated and managed your own project. He was an estimator manager, but when I went in, I created the opportunity to estimate more. Okay. But then I'd say, here's your project here.
1: That's an awesome episode. I love to hear the emotion, um, just the emotion of a son and the emotion that he has and the, the pride and how he feels about the sacrifice that his parents made for him and his brother and how that's profoundly influenced him and the work that he did and the work that he's done and the impact he's made in building a company. Thanks for listening to episode one. Stay tuned for episode two with Christos.